Okay. So, you see, the schedule makers, otherwise known as Hashem, sometimes makes the schedule very conducive to spiritual growth. The summer ends, Elul begins, everyone goes back to their regular routines, whether they live here or they live there, they go back to their regular routines, and spirituality has an easy time. And then you have years like this, where it's spiritually very, very, very challenging to be in the right frame of mind. Labor Day for most people is the last day of chill, and that night is Rosh Hashanah. So the concept is very difficult for brains to digest and forget in the right head and the right focus. Rosh Hashanah, in other words, is 12 days away. And Rosh Hashanah, for a lot of people, is going to be here, it's going to be in deal. And now that's not in itself a problem, I'm also going to be in deal. It's the mentality that's the challenge. For many people, next week will be full summer mold. Kids home, maybe a little bit of school, maybe a little bit or not and full summer mode, and then somehow he's supposed to turn on the lights and it's Rosh Hashanah. So we're going to have a very basic opening question today, and that is what should my focus be on as I get into Rosh Hashanah? And as we start thinking about it, if you came to this class, it's the reason why, is because you want to start thinking about it. What should I be thinking about? What should my focus be on? So, on Rosh Hashanah we have the sounds of the shofar. There are three specific sounds that are mixed and matched in a lot of ways, but there are three sounds. One is the sound of the tikiah, that's the straight one. Then there's the shivarim, which is broken up into like three parts, three sounds. And then there's the teruah, two, 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 small sounds. Tikiah, shivarim, and teruah. And we are total on the whole day of Rosh Hashanah, we have a hundred sounds of the shofar, a hundred blasts of the shofar, and we're all used to it, and we all come to shul, we all listen to it, or do our best to do so. But the pasuk in discussing Rosh Hashanah says it this way, Yom Tiru'ah Yeyelachem. It's a day of Tiru'ah. One second. I thought I just detailed, we have Tiru'ah, we have Tiki'ah, we have Shavarim. Why do you specifically land on the word Tiru'ah to capture the day of Rosh Hashanah? When really there's other sounds that we make on that day too. Why do you specify Tiru'ah? Now, one more question. My next question is, that do you think the mitzvah is to blow the shofar or to hear the shofar? Which one is it? How about if I make this sound, but I can't hear it? Like if I literally blow it into a hole, so I can't hear the sound, but I make the sound, I blow the shofar, but I cannot hear it. Is it good or not? The answer is it's not good. Because the mitzvah, the obligation is to hear it. More than anything else, the obligation is to hear it. Why? Most mitzvot, you have to light a menorah, you have to shake a lulav, the action is it. Why over here is the main mitzvah, the listening and not the action? So here we go. I think when you talk to people about growth, and you talk to people about change, and you talk to people about improvement, 
I think a lot of us have a small disease. And I like to call the disease, I made up a word last week, I'll make up a word this week, the rightness disease. What that means is, whatever I do is right. You want to know how do I decide right and wrong? Very simple. Look at what I do, that's what's right. I do right. How do we decide what's right and wrong? Look at my actions, that's simply how it goes. I'll use an example that doesn't necessarily apply to this room. How much should a man learn every day, every week? You have some men in this community who learn, they hear a speech on Shabbat for 10 minutes, that's their learning for the week. Others do that and a class. Others do that and two classes a week. Others do that in a class every single night. Others do it every single night and every single morning. Others do two hours in the morning and two hours in the night. And others learn all day. Ask which one is right, very simple. Go over to a guy and say, which one is right? Whatever he does, that's what's right. If I listen to a speech the whole week, that's what's right. If I listen, if I go to class every night, that's, what the, that's the minimal amount that you need to do. If I learn all day, that's what's right. Every person basically decides what's right based on what they do. And go and try to tell somebody that what you do is wrong, almost nobody will actually say, wow, thank you for enlightening me, I didn't know. What I do is right. We have the rightness disease. And it's actually a Gemara. It's a Gemara that's quoted all over Shas. I'm going to tell you what the Gemara says. And follow the wording, because the wording is important. It's in Kedushin, Mo'er Katan. It says like this. Kevan avar adam avera. Once someone committed a sin. Vishanaba and did it a second time, hutralo, it's allowed for him. Says the Gemara, what? Hutralo you think it's literally allowed for him just because he did the sin twice, now it's allowed? Says the Gemara, no. Ela na'asit lo keheter. It becomes to him as if it's allowed. What was the Gemara doing? It said it's allowed. No, it doesn't mean allowed. It's, it's as if it's allowed. And the Gemara, like I said, quotes this in the Shas maybe seven, eight times all over Shas. What, what, what's this? It's allowed. No, it's not allowed. It's as if it's allowed. What the Gemara is trying to tell you is that if we have habits that we do, that we got used to, we literally believe it's right. That's how we live. Not it's as if it's right. We literally believe it's right. So the Gemara says, it's right. No, no, it doesn't really mean it's right. But in your head, it's literally right. Think about what you do and tell me how much of what you do is wrong. The next person next to you thinks what you do is wrong. But you think, I think, everything I do, all the habits I have are right. That's our challenge going into Rosh Hashanah. We all think we're right. We don't think we're right. We all know we're right. If we were at a Friday night table and there was a discussion having, we could defend ourselves to the moon. We have all kinds of quotes, Shalom Bayit, Oneg Shabbat, different ideas that we throw around, and we know that everything we do is right. Every now and then we make a mistake and we'll fix it. But our habits, our lifestyle, 
we're right. We know we're right. We have the rightness. We know we're right. If I do it, it's right. And we're very confident in it. And we could defend it, and we could fight it, and we could fight as, to as many people as want, because we're really sure that what we're doing is right. Let me tell you what the sounds of the shofar mean according to the Shlach HaKadosh. He says, here's how it goes. The first sound is the tiki'ah. The tiki'ah is a straight sound. Because that's how you're born. Straight and pure. And wonderful. That's the tiki'ah. Then the next sound is the shivarim, which is broken into three pieces. That represents when you sin, when we make a mistake. When that happens, it happens to every one of us, we start to make mistakes. And then after the Shabbatim comes the Teruah. What's the Teruah? The Teruah is when we realize we made a mistake and we like a Teruah is like a cry where we really are remorseful and we cry and we feel bad about the Shabbatim. We feel bad about the broken. We feel bad about the mistakes we did and we're now crying about it. So again, we start off straight, then we make mistakes, then we cry about those mistakes. And what comes after that? A tikiyah again. Because if we do a good job at the tiruah, we're back clean like we were when we were born. We were born clean, we messed up, we cry to get back. And if we do a good job, tikiyah is the result. We're back as clean people. And that's why the Pasuk says, Ashreha am yod e tiruah. Praised is the nation. Not that knows about the Shivarim or knows about the Tiki'ah. Praised is the nation that knows about the Tiru'ah. Praised is the nation that knows how to change. Praised is the nation that knows how to cry about the Shivarim. Praised is the nation that knows how to identify what I did wrong and I'm not so stuck in my rightness and I'm confident enough and courageous enough to cry it out and become different. So again, everything I'm talking about is up in the air. So let me give you some real examples so we can talk straight and clear. The mindset here that I'm talking about is really simple. It's look at the halakha and keep it. It's not rocket science. Look at the halakha and keep it. Not your halakha, not our habits, not what we're used to, not what we feel good about, not what we're comfortable with. Look at the halakha and keep it. Before I give you examples, I want to tell you a nice little story. So this Shabbat, I was speaking here, and in the corner over there, there was a man with a long beard that I never saw before. After everybody left, this man comes over to me and he says, My grandfather is, was Reb Hillel Zaks. Who's Reb Hillel Zaks? He is the grandson of the Hafez Chaim. In essence, this man is the great-great-grandson of the Hafez Chaim. I said, wow, you're the great-great-grandson of the Hafez Chaim. That's so cool. Tell me some story about the Hafez Chaim that I never heard before. We all know the famous ones. Tell me something about the Hafez Chaim that I never heard before. He says, I'm going to tell you something. It's not a story, but... He says, and the truth is, what he told me, I was hesitant to say in a class. Because you have to appreciate it. But I hope we can explain it and frame it enough that you will appreciate it. He says, you want to hear something unique about the Hafez Chaim? I said, what is it? He says, the Hafez Chaim did not wear tefillin every single day. I said, what? 
He says, the Chafetz Chaim did not wear tefillin every single day. I said, why not? He said, because the Chafetz Chaim had a stomach issue. And if a person's stomach or body isn't clean, they're not allowed to wear tefillin. So there were some days that he felt his body wasn't ready to wear tefillin, and so he didn't wear tefillin all day. He says, what's the beauty of this? As you take any person today, any religious Jew today, they would say, come on, I'll find a way, just put on tefillin. No one wants to break their streak. Everyone wants to wear tefillin. I understand body clean, it's almost clean, it's pretty clean. I just, I'm basically okay. Put on the tefillin at least for five minutes. I'm not going to put on tefillin. I'm a great holy person. I'm going to put on tefillin. You will not find one person on the planet who's genuinely religious and really loves Torah that will skip a day. You will not find the person. I don't care what the halakha says. It doesn't matter what the halakha says. They're wearing their tefillin because that's what they feel they're supposed to do. And that's what they know they want to do. Don't tell me about the fact that the halakha says I shouldn't wear it in this way and that way. I'm not missing my streak. I'm wearing the tefillin. But the Chafetz Chaim very simply followed the halakha. And when the halakha said one day don't wear it, he didn't wear it. Like there's a law as an example that someone's not supposed to pray when they have to go to the restroom. Everybody prays when they have to go to rest. Because they're not missing a minyan, and they're late, and it's time. And because we don't really, we do what we want to do, or we do what we feel good about doing. And I told the story over to my son. He says, that I once heard a great quote, and this is not my example about wearing tefillin. I'll give real examples that will be very real. Don't worry. He says, I once heard another story about the Chavez Chaim, that the Chavez Chaim's son went to a different town. It was a Hasidic town, and they all asked him, tell us a story about your father, tell us a story about your father. He says, I have no stories. Maybe come back to me the next day. Tell me a story about your father, tell me a story about your father. He says, the truth, I don't have any stories about my father, but here's what I'll tell you. He says, most people are used to knowing this famous phrase, that rabbis, like the holy rabbis, they do miracles. Sadiq Gozer v'hakadosh baruchu mekayem. That if like a rabbi says it, if Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky makes some kind of decree, then all of a sudden miracles happen. Sadiq Gozer, that means the rabbi says it and Hashem makes it happen. He says, I want to tell you how my father, the Hafez Chaim, lived his life. He lived his life, hakadosh baruchu gozer, God decrees, Sadiq mekayem. And he followed. That's the story. Story is not about a miracle. The story is about the fact that there are laws and he kept those laws. Simple game over. Let me give you a real example. Okay? And I hope that this example is relevant to almost nobody. And I heard about it once or twice over the course of the summer. And I still believe that it's relevant to almost nobody. I'm hoping that this is one or two people that made this mistake. But I think it's important to mention so it doesn't become a trend. But there are a lot of people in this room who can say this is completely irrelevant. See, our community 50, 60 years ago was not really careful in Tarat HaMishpacha. And over the years, the classes got better and better and stronger. And almost everybody, to some degree, follows it. Then COVID happened, 
And people had a problem because COVID is then, they weren't germs, and now to go into a McVeigh and to go into a room and other people in the room and sanitize and people were scared and people were nervous. So rabbis had to come up with as many loopholes as possible within the halakha. So some people were able to at certain times go in the day, other people were able to go in the ocean at a certain time. And, and people remember that period, last March, last April, last May, how this was a topic and this was a discussion. Good. For the most part, people got comfortable last June, July, and people went back to normal. Most people did. But apparently there are some people who decided that once COVID changed the rules, the rules are the rules. So, there are, I mean, whatever, we do what we do. So there are people today, over the course of this summer, who decided that they go to the mikveh in the ocean, during the day, in their clothing. And that's their mikveh. Hey, you did. Back in COVID, they did kind of the same thing. So they're basically going to do today, going to do the same thing. And that is ludicrous. And completely against the halakha. I don't know if I should, but if you saw it before, I walked in with a book. Because I was going to literally quote the halakha to you from Shulchan Aruch. And I could read it to you in the book. But here's what Shulchan Aruch says. A person is able to dip A woman, if she dips in a begadim, is mutar. In her clothing is mutar. Then says the shach, but whoa, 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 whoa. That's only in very big baggy where there's nothing tight. But anything that's tight, it doesn't count. So to think that people are going in leggings or any other, and I want to describe other kinds of clothing, I think that they're going in the McVeigh and that that counts. They're committing the full sin. There's a halakha. There's not what I'm in the mood for, what I feel like, what I feel should be right. And the fact that the halakha has some flexibility in certain cases doesn't mean it has flexibility whenever we want or whatever we feel like. And as a community, you want to know what's right? What the halakha says is right. It's as simple as that. You can't make it up. You can't say to someone, I'm going to go in my pool. What kind of joke is that? can't say, I'm going to go in the ocean and I'll go, it's fine. What kind of joke is that? Yes, there are certain ways, certain times, ocean, there's certain clothing, da, da, da. But to think that you're going to come and take the whole thing into your own hands. You know, I gave a class in the middle of the year that some people really liked and some people didn't. And the point of the class was about um, Purim, the Seudah of Purim on a Friday. And what time should the meal be? And people had the question, what time do you have the meal for Purim when it's a Friday? And we were back and forth. And in the class I said, do you really think Hashem cares what time you eat the meal on Erev, on Erev Pesach? Do you think God could care less about it if we have so many people in this community that literally eat out? You think He cares what time you have it at 12 or you have it at 2? And a lot of people were offended by it. And they said, Rabbi, what do you mean? You make it fun, I kind of knocked that hatara and different things that people do as if they got used to. And they're like, Rabbi, what do you mean? There are people who started going to shul through hatara. And there's people who started going to shul are saying Kaddish. Don't knock those things. And let me be clear, of course I'm not knocking those things. I'm not knocking hatara and those different concepts. All I'm saying is that that's not religion. Religion is the laws. 
Religion is the halakha, the way it's written. That's what religion looks like. You want to know what to work on? Find the law, not what you do, not the habit you used to. Find the law and keep it. Game over. It's not complicated. Now what I feel like I'm going to say three chapters of Tehillim. Three chapters of Tehillim is a nice thing, but it's not a halakha. Going to the mikveh right is a halakha. So that's why when you had the Sudat Purim on Friday is a nice thing. But eating kosher is a law. Do we know the difference? I'm God forbid not minimizing those nice things that we do. Tehillim is so powerful and so important. God forbid I'm not minimizing it. Our community has Tehillim chats. Someone's sick and it blows up and we finished the whole Tehillim 12 times in an hour. It's awesome. But don't let that sugarcoat the laws. And don't let that tell you that a law is flexible when it's not. Some of them are, some of them are not. So what well, you want to know what's right? What the book says is right. Not what I'm in the mood for. Not what I feel like. Not what I am into. Not what I'm not into. Not what my parents did. What's right is what the book says is right. So if you want to figure out something to work on, pick a law that you don't do. The book says to do it. You don't do it. And that's what you should work on. There's other nice things in our religion. Like I said, giving extra charity is nice, saying Hatara is nice, coming to Shufa Hatara is nice, saying Tehillim is nice. And there's a lot of other things that are nice. But then there are a lot of things that are laws. That we somehow, in our rightness, are comfortable ignoring. I'll give you another example. This one applies to all of us. Lashon Hara. It's also from that rabbi. He said, I said, give me another story about the Chavetz Chaim. He says, I don't have a story about the Chavetz Chaim, but I'm going to give you a thought from my grandfather of Hillel Zaks, who was also a famous rabbi. He says, it says that there are two things that we're known to have to remember. We have to remember what Amalek did to us, Baderech, how Amalek fought us on the road. And we have to remember, Zachor, what Hashem did to Miriam, Baderech on the road. So remember what Amalek did for us on the road. He says, I understand. Why do both concepts emphasize the road? He says, I understand why you're emphasizing Amalek on the road. Because Amalek got us on the road. What does that mean? Even though we were on the road. And even though, um, even though we, we, we weren't in a country yet. And we, had not, we weren't doing anything wrong to them. They came to us on the road to fight us. You need to remember how evil they were. That they even went after us on the road. He says, but why the emphasis of the fact, what happened to Miriam on the road? What happened to Miriam? Miriam spoke about her brother Moshe Rabbeinu, and God gave her tzarat because she spoke Lashon Hara on the road. Why the emphasis of the fact that it happened while they were traveling, while they were in the desert, while they were on the road? He says, I'm going to tell you a story that my grandfather of Hillel Zach said. He said, there was once a woman, Gentile woman, who was standing with her two children on a Sunday, waiting for the train. Two little kids, they're dressed in fine, clean clothing. Maybe they're going to services, I don't know, or maybe they were going to an event. And the mother just kept telling the kids as they're running around all over the place, keep your clothing clean. Keep your clothing clean. Keep your clothing clean. I just got a tongue twister. Keep it clean. And so they're running around, he stay clean. 
Finally, some kind of ice cream truck drives by. Now what happens when the ice cream truck drives by? There's nothing worse than that sound, that ding-a-ling. Drives by and you know it's pretty much game over. So the truck stops. Sure enough, the kid pulls at the mother. Ma, I want ice cream, I want ice cream. You better keep yourself clean. I want ice cream. Okay, Ma, I'll, I'll get you an ice cream, but you better stay clean. So the mother buys two ice creams, two chocolate ice creams. One kid eats the ice cream. The other kid eats half the ice cream and then takes it and smudges it on his sister's back on the whole white shirt. And the mother is standing there looking at what this kid just did. Twelve times I said, keep the clothing clean. And she doesn't know what to do. Do I go back home? I can't go to service. I can't go to the event. I went dirty. And then all of a sudden, the train comes. So the mother's so upset. She takes her son. She twists his ear. She's, and he starts screaming. She says, that's just for now. The real consequence will happen when we get home. Get on the train. What's the mother saying? There are certain things that you can wait till you get home to give the consequences. And then there are other things that there needs to be a consequence right now. Right now, even as the train is coming and we're getting on the train, you need to know that you did something colossally wrong this minute. I have to twist the ear till you scream so that you know right now that you were wrong. Miriam spoke Lashon Hara. Hashem said, I'm not waiting for the consequences to happen in a year, in a month, Olam Haba. I'm going to give the consequences on the road. While you're all traveling, even though you might say, we don't have time now to deal with this, let her go and we'll deal with this later, we'll punish her later. No, Lashon Hara is so bad and so dramatic that we need to twist the ear right now. She needs to get Sarat right now. Let the whole nation wait for a week and let's do it to her right now. So what is the Torah emphasized Baderech to show you that it's so bad to Borei Olam and God is so uncomfortable with it that He gave her a consequence in the moment on the road and wouldn't wait. Lashon Hara. How much Lashon Hara do we speak? And how much do we convince ourselves is right? I'm speaking about someone who's a bad person anyways. I'm speaking about someone that everybody knows the story anyhow. I'm fish elbing. And when fish elbow, it's allowed. There's a heter somewhere called fish elbow in the Shulchan Aruch. I'm, I'm, I'm letting it off my chest. I need to get it off my chest. And we all, so many of us, talk Lashon Hara and write it away in our head instantly. We come up with some answer, some excuse, some explanation. We don't tell anybody. As the words are coming out, our brain is saying, but one second, Lashon Hara, Rabbi Heber just said it's so bad. No, this isn't real Lashon Hara. We come up with some answer that we know is fake. Because so many of us follow our book. We don't follow his book. We follow our book. You want to know what to work on this holiday? Read his book. Find a law and keep it. A law that doesn't make you so comfortable, that you're not so used to, that you haven't done for a long time. And start keeping the law. Not rocket science. I'll give you one more example that again I hope is not relevant to everybody in this room 
But it's definitely relevant to people that are here. Our Shabbat observance in this community has got more categories than there are, I don't know, flavors and ice cream. Like there's just every category, TV, not TV, on, off. The housekeeper does the channels. I do the channels. I turn it on. I don't turn it off. I turn it on, but I don't do the channels. I, I turn it on with my elbow. Someone else turns it on. I keep it off the whole time unless there's a big ball game. They have all kinds. That's just TVs. And then there's a million other categories that we have. There's a lot of people in the community who are observant. But every now and then, there's just like a quick flick of the light switch. Like, I couldn't find my dress. Nobody noticed. On, off. No one saw that. Or, I just had to respond to this text message because it was like quick. And we have so many people in this community who keep Shabbat according to their laws. They decide if they ride, if they don't. They decide what they turn on, what they don't. They decide what they carry, where they do, where they don't. They decide if they swim, if they don't. They decide what they play, what they don't. They decide what's on and what's off. They decide what they can tell the housekeeper, what they can't. They decide the laws. And there is a Shulchan Aruch that has extensive laws. You know, there are people who can't stomach, you know, there's 39 Melachot, most of them we know. There's one of them that people can't believe. Everyone knows it. It's called Borer. You know Borer? That means if I have like a little rice with a little rock inside and I take out the rock, I just committed a crazy sin. Come on. That's a sin. You think I should really care if I pull out a quick rock from the rice so that I serve it well to the, to, to the guests? If I pull out the rock, it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It doesn't make sense to you that it's a big deal, but I don't care if it makes sense to you or me. It doesn't go that way. We have laws and we follow the laws. So yes, there are people who need to grow. There are people who are not holding by doing everything right away. I'm not saying all of a sudden you have to turn into a Rebbitzin. But get out of the head that says whatever I do is right. How about if we get in the head that says I do 10 things right. I have 5 things that I don't do right. I know they're not right. I'm going to do 2 of them better this year. Instead of everything I do is right, I speak about people the right way. I keep Shabbat my way, which is the right way. Go to the mikveh, my way is the right way. And I'm going to give you a zillion other examples. I just chose these three. Because they're current and because they're real. That's why Rosh Hashanah is called Yom Teruah. Because of all the sounds of the shofar, that's the sound we need to hear. The sound that says, I know I grew up, I was born perfect. I know I was born tiki, I was born beautiful. I make mistakes, Shivarim, I know I make mistakes. I am willing to do to fix the mistakes. I'm willing to cry about it and change it. That's what makes the day the day that it is. That sound. Not the tikiyah, not the shivarim, the tiruah is what makes it what it is. And you have to hear it, and it needs to resonate, that there are things that I am going to change, and I know and I accept and I'm comfortable, that I need to. You know, there's a lot of opinions as to how Rosh Hashanah was chosen as a day. We know how Pesach was chosen, we left Egypt that day. We know how Shavuot was chosen. We got the Torah that day. We know how Purim was chosen. We know how Hanukkah was chosen. But how was Rosh Hashanah chosen? What happened on that day? So there's a famous Rishon, the Ran, who says that the creation of the world happened this way. 
The first day of creation, Sunday, was on Chaf Elu. That was when God made dark and light. And then each subsequent day, the 25th day of Elul, that was 26th, the 27th, and the first day of Tishrei, the day that Rosh Hashanah is on the calendar, is the day that man was created. And that's why it was chosen as a day of judgment, because of what happened on that day. Because on that first day the man was created, that Friday, the first day of Tishrei, six days into creation, on that day the Ran goes through the details of the morning and how Hashem put him together. I'm not going to give you all those details. But then he says, in the eighth hour of the day, Adam was put into Gan Eden. On the ninth hour of the day, Adam was commanded not to eat from the tree. How long did it take him to eat from the tree? Within an hour. By the tenth hour of the day, he ate from the tree. By the eleventh hour of the day, he was judged. And by the twelfth hour of the day, he was acquitted on some level. That was the first sin and the first judgment happened on Rosh Hashanah. And he says that's why the day was chosen. There are a lot of opinions on this. But according to him, that's why the day was chosen. But I want to tell you something. If that was the day... I want to tell you something that happened on that day. A question that we need to ask ourselves all the time. See, Adam HaRishon sinned. And he realized he sinned. And he went to hide. And the Pasuk says, Hashem came by Ikra Elohim ala Adam. God called out to man and he said, by Yom Elon, he said to him a famous word. What did he say to him? Ayeka, where are you? The great Balatanya lived 200 years ago, was in Russia and he was taken to jail and he was, came out of jail and they were having, it was a court case. And the person who was prosecuting against him happened to be very knowledgeable in the Bible. And he said, you believe in the Bible, you look like a good man, it looks like you didn't commit any crime that we think you did. But I have a question for you. He says, your Bible says that God came down to Adam Arishon and he said to Adam, where are you? He says, what kind of question is that? It's God, he created the world, he knows everything about the world. He knows where everybody is. How could God ask the question, where are you? Says the Balatanya there, standing on the court stand. He says, I'll tell you the re what it really was saying. God was saying, Ayeka, Adam, I know where you are. But do you know where you are? Where are you? Where'd you go? I created you perfect. What happened? Where are you right now? How'd you end up where you are right now? Where are you? What happened? How many times have you seen a friend that you went to school with and you didn't see them in 10, 20 years and then you look at them and you're like, where are you? What happened? How'd you become that? How'd, where'd your life go? And you almost go back and say another friend like, do you believe what happened to her? Do you believe what happened to him? Where, where, where'd he go? What'd he get involved in? What'd he get stuck with? Where are you? Is the question Hashem asked Adam Arishon. Ayeka, where'd you go? Where'd the great Adam Arishon that I created with perfection, where'd he go? Over the next 12 days leading into Rosh Hashanah, we need to ask ourselves that question. Ayeka, where are you? Stop with the answers, stop with the excuses, stop with the explanations. Where are you? Are you where you belong being? Don't convince yourself you are. Ask the question honestly. Forget about explaining to everybody else. Give every excuse to everybody else. But then go into a room and say, where am I? 
Is this where I need to be? Am I happy where I am? Do I think God is happy where I am? Is that, am I precisely where I need to be? Or am I, how could I have ended up here? Even in my life, God forbid, isn't a mess. But in certain areas, it's so not what it needs to be. I gone on that day, asked Saddam Arishon the most powerful question a man was ever asked, and a question that man needs to ask themselves every single day of their life. How'd you get here? Why are you here? Are you happy where you are? Is this where you want to be? Is this where you need to be? Is this where God wants you to be? Or are you lost from what you could have been? And lost from what you should have been? And lost from what you were destined to be? I want to conclude, it's a little late. I want to conclude with an example of greatness. An example of when you all of a sudden get a snapshot of somebody's life and you say, wow, look where that person ended up. So if you many people heard, this past Friday, we had a tragic loss in this community. A girl in her 40s named Hani Goldenberg passed away. Goldenberg doesn't sound like it's part of our community, but she was. Her father was Ham is Hamiliyeza Harari, who everybody knows. And she passed away. She was diseased for five years, an extreme disease for five years. And on Friday, she finally succumbed to the disease. So yesterday, I went to pay a shiva call, hoping to see the rabbi, her father, who we know well. He wasn't there, so I ended up sitting in front of her husband. And her husband is just talking about his wife. And listen where a person can land. His wife, they're married over 22 years. Not one time in their whole marriage did she ever, ever, I'm saying ever, ask for anything. Never asked for an outfit, never asked for shoes, never asked for a belt, never asked for a roast, never Ever. I can't go 20 minutes without asking for something. In her whole life, she never asked. He says, the only way I ever got her an outfit for the holiday is if I literally had to call the store, make sure no one was there, pick it up for her, because she never asked for it. In their whole marriage, not one time, including five years of an extreme disease, that from when it came, everybody knew she wasn't going to be able to beat it. Never one time did she complain. Never, ever. In 22 years of marriage, never once did they get into a fight. He says, I tried, never happened. Not one time. He says, as an example of what I mean, she never asked for anything. We got married. A young couple, excited, they're engaged. Someone calls me up and says, there's an old lady who maybe passed away, and we have furniture, bedroom, you know, master bedroom furniture, in a truck, where I'm about to throw it out. Do you think you want it? He says, I called my bride. She says, yeah, why not? Let's use it. So they put it in our house without her even seeing it. He says, it was ancient furniture. And for 10 years, that's what her master bedroom looked like. Some old, old ladies, ancient furniture, without even buying any of her own. He says, she was so conscientious, so aware of what was happening, 
that a year ago already, she wrote a letter to every one of her children that they should read after she passes about how much she loves them and how much she cares about them and how much she values them and what all their strengths are and how much Hashem is going to take care of them. This is crazy stuff. For two years, in during this whole five-year period, during the whole five-year period, he says, never once could you tell in our house that mommy was sick. Never did it come off that way. Never did it feel that way. Never did you have the up and down of coming in and out of the hospital. He says, you never felt it. He says, but for two years, two years, every night, she would say the vidui hagadol of Yom Kippur. You know that long vidui? And it's each one, Aleph has like a whole paragraph, and that's bet. Every night, she would say one paragraph from that vidui for two years, because she knew she was going. Yet in her house, her kids could literally never tell. He says, whenever we drove to the hospital for a treatment, for a test, for anything, he says, really what it was is that every two months you went for, I guess, a CAT scan or MRI to see where it was holding. He says, basically every two months felt like its own Yom Kippur. It was its own judgment day to find out where we stand and basically if she will live or not. He says, every time we're driving in the car, the whole time we just talk about Hashem and Yirat Shamaim and fearing God and loving God and trusting God. And then if she would doze off, because she wasn't well, she'd doze off in the car, she'd wake up, she's like, no, 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 I don't want to sleep. Let's keep talking about this. He says, and then she'd come out of the CT scan and she'd say to her husband, you know what, I, the whole time all I thought about is Hashem Echad. Hashem is one. That's what I thought about the entire time. That's when you say, and you look at a person and you say, Ayeka, how'd you end up there? How'd you become so great? How'd you become so perfect? There are levels that can be achieved by humans that are so much greater than most of us can even fathom. To say to never complain, to never ask, to never be upset, to never get into a dispute, I know it happens to most of us every single day, and we're good people. He says, towards the end, towards the end, she had to go through, she now, she couldn't speak anymore. They intubated her, so she couldn't talk. And she's heavily sedated. But she could communicate through some kind of word thing where you type some letters into a board, and the words come on. So she starts typing something in. I'm looking to see what she's saying. This is the first thing she's saying once she's intubated and she's heavily sedated. You don't even know she's all there. She types in, our daughter has an eye doctor appointment tomorrow. He says, what? He says, yeah, yes. He says, are you sure? She says, yes. He goes home, tells the daughter, you know, you have an eye doctor appointment tomorrow. Mommy said, you have an eye doctor appointment. I said, no, it can't be some insurance reason. It doesn't make sense if we have an eye doctor appointment tomorrow. He goes back, mom, it doesn't, sounds like it's not true. She says, it is, like with a hand, it is. Finally, he convinces the daughter to call, sure enough, she has an eye doctor appointment tomorrow. That's a mom, that's a mom. How do you end up there? How does someone end up that in the worst state possible, they show something so glorious? You know how they end up that way? When they don't keep the laws that they're in the mood for. When they don't have the religion that they are comfortable with. 
When they keep the laws that the book says, and they follow what we're here to follow, and when it's time to grow, you open the book and say, where do I need to change? I want to follow that. We have so much more potential inside of us if we would stop paying attention to our moods. If we would stop paying attention to our feelings. If we would stop telling ourselves that because I do it, it's right. And because I decided it's right, I'm a righteous person. And instead we said, there's a book to follow. There are laws I need to keep. I may not be ready for all of them today, but I'm ready for the next one. And I'm ready for the next one. Because as the holiday comes, I don't care where you are, Deal, Brooklyn, the moon. I don't care where you are. Rosh Hashanah is still 12 days away on any part of the planet Earth that you are living on. Rosh Hashanah is 12 days away. And when we stand before God on that day, God's going to say, I created you with the tiki eye. I created you pure. And then shivarim happened, mistakes happened. I get that. It happens to everybody. But now's your time, time for Yom Teruah. Now's your time to be able to change it and break it and become something different. Bring the Tikiah back. The greatness of my nation is that they know the Teruah. They know where they made mistakes and they know how to change. They know how to ignore their feelings and their moods and what they think and what they did and what they used to. And they know how to become something so much greater. Because once Rosh Hashanah comes, I don't care where you are all summer, we're going to stand before God and He's going to ask us one question. Ayeka, where are you? Thank you and happy holiday.